Hey-oh. A guy trying to... <laughs> a guy trying to figure life out podcast with Jeff Newman. How's it going, Jeff? It's going awesome, Colin. How are you doing? Living the dream, man. Living the dream. So, for all of our millions and millions of uh, listeners out there, who is a Jeff Newman? Uh, Jeff Newman is a almost 50-year-old uh, sales professional, been working in software and technology for the last, oh, good gracious, uh, 25 years, I guess now. Um, father of three, I think that's uh, kind of the, the key things in my life, business and family. Uh, how old are they kids? Oh, my kids are now. My daughter is 20, my oldest son is 19, and my youngest is 17. So barely kids anymore. Time flies, eh? It goes my, I just like picture that with my, with Dean's nine months now. And I just like, he's going to be like a dude. And you know what? Like you remember it all like it's yesterday. And people always say it goes too fast. You need to hang on to those, those times. And I've always kept that in my head. And I've always thought about it. But there's no defending it. It just moves quick. <laughs> and you can't believe that the, you know, the kid, the little girl that you were holding in the hospital, you know, turns into the 20-year-old living with her boyfriend. <laughs> you cannot, you could not look at, at, at her as a baby. And I just, I, I, I bring her up specifically because that's the first is always, you know, it's, it's, that's where you have all the, the initial experiences. But yeah, you, can, you cannot defend against this thing moving amazingly fast. So I wanted to, I've been breaking it up into kind of two pieces. Yep. I kind of like hearing, we all have a professional side and then we all have a personal side. And I'd love, maybe I'll start a professional and then move a little more personal. Mm -hmm. All this hard hitting, maybe get you to cry. Um, but maybe starting off, could you sh just give a quick overview of like uh, what you do for work? Yeah. So right now my position is VP of direct sales for North America. Uh, I've been in this role for coming on to two years. I started with uh, the company I'm with now, Arcadin, uh, almost oh, three and a half years ago, running Canada, um, brought uh, commercial into the fold after the manager left on our commercial team, and then uh, they were nice enough to promote me into the North American role. So I'm responsible for uh, six sales directors that report directly to me, and then we have about 45 or so uh, salespeople that roll up through those directors in six offices across North America. Uh, super fun role, super challenging. Um, the great thing about this company is, uh, for the most part, we're sales driven, which I like. I like sales driven organizations. Um, they're always a lot more fun to work at than you know finance driven. Have you worked at finance driven organizations? Yeah, yeah. I always found uh, my experience at Thomson Reuters slash NASDAQ, which was the, the role I was in previously. Um, awesome roles, but very much uh, driven by finance. You know, they looked at, at everything was, was EBITDA. Um, so it's kind of like more thinking about the profit of a deal before, versus the quantity of a deal? Is that Very much so. And in fact, deals would, would get killed uh, if they could have any kind of negative impact to revenue, even if you could see clearly the path to, path to, to increasing margin later on. You know, you take a skinny now to get the bigger deal later. Um, the, kind of like the idea, just, like you sell it now, it's going to be skinny margin. But once we get volume increases, you can see that our profit would increase. Well, never volume. 
you can't sell a deal on low margin, help to make it up on no, volume. But, but you, you could, but you could add. Right? Yeah, it would be more of the, uh, the the margin when you put everything into the mix. When you right. could get additional, uh, mostly products, to, you know, higher margin products moved into the mix. So what's what's the thing you're most excited about? We're heading into uh, a new year, a new calendar year. Like what's making you hop out of bed from a work standpoint right now? Uh, I think for me, it's that the market is changing so much and so quickly. You know, we're seeing uh, not just our technology change, but, you know, uh, particularly within the case of Microsoft, you know, just the explosion of Skype for Business um, as a technology. And I think whenever there's change coming into the market, uh, companies that are sales focused are going to do very, very well in, in those areas. Um, you know, our competitors, our, our two largest competitors on the, the, the old legacy conferencing side of the business um, are both going through huge changes. Uh, and I think we're better positioned than they are to deal with these market changes. Um, and we've kind of stayed, you know, true to who we are. We've, we've stayed very sales focused. We've, um, we've tried to increase our sales teams year after year. Um, that this, not just the number of salespeople we have, but the number of overlays. We've moved into specialist roles. Um, so that's, that's got me kind of pumped. You know, I think with, with change comes opportunity, and I think we're best suited to, to deal with that opportunity. Yeah, it's like hard and an opportunity at the same part, right? Anytime there's change, it's like, it's difficult because change is hard for everyone, but that's where opportunity is too, right? Absolutely, and change is more fun to me. Yeah. You know, like if it's we're, still. yeah, it's another, it's, it, 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 it's sure, it's another spinning plate you have to manage, but I really like that, you know, it, when you're just, you know, when you have a product, and I've worked at companies where, you know, we've been on the decline because the product is, you know, long, no longer, and you're just kind of trying to find that soft landing. Um, not exciting, you know, you're just trying to <laughs> maximize, you know, your margins, you're, you know, you're constantly doing things like layoffs and changing vendors to kind of, you know, keep your, your profitability at the margins that you expect, um, and, and not exciting, you know, whereas, you know, we've got kind of a nice mix of legacy business that, you know, our bread and butter business that is taking forever to go away. Um, and we are starting to sell a lot of these products that are like new, new technologies that people it, want. Yeah. yeah, you know, and then we've got two behemoths that we're a value-added reseller for, and Microsoft and Cisco, who you know don't like to send invoices to individual customers. They don't like chasing for collections. They don't like taking phone calls. Things that we're actually really, really good at. I think uh, that's been a big. This I've probably been through maybe like three or four big shifts in the industry where we've Arcanine has always done a good job of kind of jumping onto the the wave instead of fighting it. But, yeah. Um, maybe flip it. Uh, what's one of the biggest challenges you're dealing with, sort of managing a big sales team, and like what's one of the biggest challenges you're dealing with right now? Uh, I think for us, it's it's you know headcount is is an ongoing challenge that we we have to manage. Um, you know, finding the right mix of reps that as we start to move into these changes are, you know, we're kind of at a place where we need a nice mix of, you know, more tactical reps that are going to put the activity in, um, but are able to have a strategic conversation that's becoming more and more important to the people that we're talking to. You know, the, the days of, you know, how much are you paying now? How much would you like to pay are, are long gone. 
Um, but even the days of you know flipping people from similar products over to uh, Arcadin because of you know some value add that we have, you know customer support, uh, our ability to onboard customers and get them trained, that is having less and less of an impact. Now we need to have conversations about you know your whole digital transformation strategy, how this affects things like people, you know the impact of millennials on your business, you know the mix of you know, uh, knowledge workers versus non-knowledge workers. You know, manufacturing used to be a non-starter for this stuff. They just needed to get to a, you know, a plain old telephone system and dial into a conference. Um, now manufacturing companies are looking at the opportunities that digital, digital transformation brings, and they're seeing that they can have a real impact on their bottom line. Um, what about, uh, so one of the things I always think is hardest is hiring. You know, it's... Uh, it's easy thing to manage if you got the right person in the seat, and it doesn't matter how great of a manager you are if you have the the wrong person in the seat. Um, like, what are your? Do you have any like thoughts or, or tips for people about uh, sort of managing a large group? Like, what, what's something that people could take away about you know maybe managing managing other leaders? I think that'd be interesting to hear from you. Well, it's funny. That's the first thing that popped into my head is that you know you you. you no one can manage 45 sales reps and you know I by no means have the largest sales force on the planet um, you know but I have uh, five really good managers right now and, and one uh, open headcount that we're, we're trying to fill um, and it has to really be done at the, the manager level the, the managers are really the sergeants that go into battle with the sales reps and you have to empower in my opinion anyways you have to empower the sales managers um, to go in and be effective with that team um, and let them put their thumbprint on their sales team. You know, the sales manager who's selling on the west coast of the U.S. is not the sales manager who's selling in Quebec. You know, they're, they're going to be very, very different uh, needs. And, you know, sometimes even within a region, they need to be thinking a little bit differently. So to, that's one thing that we found. Um, you know, getting uh, support from the, whether you're in an organization that uses specialists or in our case we use overlays. Um, some companies are very, uh, you know, they bring uh, SEs into deals. Um, so working closely with those overlays and the managers for those overlays to make sure that you're getting their input put on how to do uh, little refinements and course corrections along the way. Um, and then I really see my job as uh, working with the managers to try to bring all that input um, and obviously, you know, working with uh, statistics, you know, volumes, activity, uh, showing the managers comparisons across the entire organization so they get a better sense of where their team and where their individuals fit into that so that you can arm with the most information and then provide them with course corrections along the way also. Uh, something that we talk about a lot is is hiring but i think sometimes people don't talk very much about firing um it's something i i think you actually do well is transitioning people out uh do you have any thoughts on just like how to do that well yeah you know someone once said and you know it, it may sound a little cold but you you need to hire slowly and fire quickly you know um and I think what I always took that to mean is that, you know, I think the hire slowly is obvious. You need to find the right people. And, you know, uh, it's, it's better to leave a seat empty a little longer than you'd like to make sure you get the right person. 
but at, at the same that if you if you have someone on board who's clearly not a fit for the role, um, I've always really bought into the idea that it's not good for them and it's not good for the company. And you know, both parties need to to uh, you know certainly the company needs to move them out and they need to go find a role that that is right for them because neither side is going to be happy. Um, when it comes to transitioning, you know, I think you have to be completely upfront. You know, I mean, I think there's you you, you don't want to sugarcoat things. You want to be respectful. You want to be professional. You want to let um, the the person who you know that you could be transitioning out of the business know exactly where they stand. You want to be um, clear with your timelines. You want to be clear with setting the goals, um, and you know you want to certainly want to keep it professional. Um, I think know, that's something. I think that's something you do well is one you're direct, but also that timeline point. You know, it's like no, like this isn't going to work, and then this is kind of a a time frame here. You know, start lining up like options. You know, and it simple and direct and clear with a with actual timelines and elicit feedback along the way. You know, there. I mean, sometimes there's there's things going on in people's lives that you you just need to be aware of. You know that, you know it's not. You know, we've had a couple instances where I've worked with reps in the past that have come through Arcadent um, and other companies, and you know they, they've been successful other places and then not as successful here. Um, and sometimes it's because you know they've they've changed. Sometimes it's because they've got things going on in their life. So try to elicit feedback and get them to understand and provide feedback on why they think they're not being successful. And you know typically they'll see their their own way too. Uh, it's, so maybe I think that's actually a good transition to like you know what are about, what are you really excited about personally like outside of work? Uh, well, that's a really good question. I've been I feel like I've been I've been heads down here for uh, for a while. Um, so the kind of stuff that that's have has me like the stuff I'm reading right now um, is kind of around uh, sediment of sentiment of uh, customers, um, understanding the impact of big data. Um, I'm, I'm super interested in all the data that's coming out of Google now. It's crazy. It's just amazing. You know, like stuff that would have taken years to, to and, and a team of people to go through. Now uh, like actually making it like real. Like, yeah. You know, it is interesting. It is. And the, the analytics that they've got, I find super interesting. Um, I think, you know, the... The, the whole psychology of sales and you know understanding customers' needs. I feel like sales has really moved. You know, in the last 25 years I've been doing this, that sales has really moved from we got to pound this deal through yeah. to you know we have to work very very closely uh, with, with customer. customer and and understand their needs. And I tell you, I think you know every we have way more fails than we have wins. <laughs> in this business, but every fail we have, I think we, we can clearly lay at our doorstep. What about, uh, so what's like a, a challenge that you're dealing with personally? Uh, well, I'm going through a separation right now, so that's certainly a, a big challenge. It's, uh, it's, it's been, uh, you know, it was a, a long marriage. It was a great marriage, and, you know, it's actually been a, a pretty great separation. Yeah, um, like, yeah. But what have you kind of learned going through the separation like like everything in life man I think it's you know you kind of get out of it what you put into it and in the case of the separation is you know you there's going to be hurt feelings on both sides and if you are 
um, willing to accept that things are just as they are, you can very, at least in, our, in my case, you can overcome a lot of the you know, negative feelings, a lot of the challenges uh, that come with the separation, and you can make the whole experience, you know, uh, if not pleasant, um, you can certainly make it uh, about you know, continuing to try to partner together yeah, and you guys just been like... morph. Yeah, you morph the relationship from, or, or probably the relationship had already morphed on its own from you know being one that's romantic to one that's platonic. Yeah, um, yeah, and then you can you know you can continue to try to work as partners together. Um, you know, keep dialogue going, and yeah, it's been a good. It's actually been a great learning experience for me. That's cool. Um, what about parenting? Like, uh, you, you're, you're obviously got quite the head start on. I mean, I got a couple of youngins. Like, what's what's a tip if you could go back and talk to yourself when you had a three-year-old, one-year-old? What, what, what like, kind of what's something been helpful from a parenting side? I, th- I, f- I like your kids seem cool. Like, they seem like good people. Yeah, they're great kids. Um, you know what? I think uh, maybe the one like the big takeaway I've always had from or I've, I've learned over uh, the years and years of having kids is that you are not nearly as responsible for their successes as you think you are and you don't own their failures as much as you as you may put that kind of pressure on yourself Uh, Uh, you know i think that's probably actually true for us personally i (laughs) i take too much credit for things that go well and i you know i need to remind myself that i when something doesn't go the way i want it to it's not all me too, you know, like, yeah, that's actually a really good point. So. I've never thought of it like that. I tend to, yeah, I tend to own my failures because I figure, hey, if I own my failure, I'm the best guy to fix it. I'm the only guy I have any control yeah. over in life. It seems well, like we gotta own control. it. I'm not saying yeah. like don't own it, but like realize that just you know we probably take too much credit when it goes well. It's probably not all us, and we probably take too much like beating when it goes like not well, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. That's that's interesting. Um, I find it interesting with kids. It, it never fails to amaze me that, you know, three children, the same two parents, the exact same upbringing, they, they could not be more similar other than birth order. And very different. So different. <laughs> and you're, you know, you could say, well, yeah, the kid got a 98 on the test. You're like, well, there you go. <laughs> Clearly, those, that's genetic. Yeah. <laughs> that's just genetic. Um, but then, they, you know, they, they do something crazy, as kids will do, and, and you're disappointed in them. And... You could think, well, I have no idea where that that came from. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there's uh, a couple of things I just wanted to maybe, like, uh, finish up with. I I always thought, like, one of the cool, like, like stories, like, corporate stories was uh, Yahoo. Or, no, Broadsoft getting purchased by Yahoo. Broadcast. Broadcast.com getting purchased. So Mark Cuban, uh, you know, you were part of that on, on both sides. Could you just, like, give it, like, a quick, like, what was that experience like? Like, what was that? That was a super fun experience. So I was working at a little company called uh, Accutel that eventually got bought by Bell Canada, and um, I'd, I'd seen streaming online. Um, and back then, it was mo- it was all audio. It was uh, 14 kilobits a second uh, streaming, and I'd reached out. They were called AudioNet at the time. Uh, they changed their name to Broadcast uh, right around the IPO just before the IPO. And uh, I like the technology. I reached out to them and said, you know, I'd like to resell this in Canada. Um, we started reselling it. So you reached out to them about it? 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I reached out cool. to them about the product. And uh, actually a guy named Eric Rastrum, uh, who I, I still uh, keep in touch with once every couple of years or so. Uh, really smart guy. Um, so I, we started working with uh, AudioNet at the time, started reselling that product in Canada. It was popular. Um, I got a call from them one day saying, you know, we're thinking about hiring someone full-time in Canada. Do you have any interest in it? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, sounds like an interesting challenge. So they were based in Dallas, uh, Deep Ellum. And uh, I, I actually flew to the Javits Center in New York for the interview. I interviewed with uh, my boss, um, a guy who I worked with for years, Aaron Davidson, and then Mark Cuban. Um, and there was like... The, you interviewed with Mark Cuban? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was a very hands-on guy. Yeah, yeah, very hands-on guy at the time. I was going to say at the time, all the way through that experience, he was pretty hands-on, uh, busy, but but certainly hands-on. Um, and uh, the interview went well. They they offered me the job, and uh, it was an interesting company because it was the first time I'd worked at a company that was so ultra-focused on results quarter by quarter. And you know, because it had big investors. Uh, Texas Instruments, for example, was one of the really, I don't even remember, remember Texas Instruments, yeah. but they're one of their big Calculate. investors. That's right. <laughs> That's what I always think of as well. Um, but the, uh, I remember uh, Texas Instruments was one of the big ones that, that, that I remember on the top of my head. And, but you know, you get to the end of the quarter and you'd be going like mad. And that was my first experience with that, you know, living and dying by your quarter. And you, we'd get deals where, you know, remember I had a deal with Bank One. It was a, it was a really big number. It was like seven digits. And um, I remember us negotiating, like, I can't remember. I want to say like hundreds of thousands. Maybe it wasn't that much. But it was a lot that we negotiated off the contract price to move the contract signature up. Really? A week. Just for just have a week. Just because we needed it, I, I I just happened to have the big deal of the quarter or the big one waiting to close still. Um, but it was an exciting time. I remember we did that Victoria's Secrets runway show. Oh, you guys broadcast that? That we're the, the we're the first ones to do that. A guy named Tim Sanders who actually uh, writes sales books now, uh, awesome guy, and uh, he closed that deal. It was in Columbus. So I ended up being involved in it because I was in Cincinnati by then. And um, I, ended, I think I ended up taking over after that, but like we shut down the internet. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was and it was an incredible business model for them because it, it was the, the whole reason they did it was to get people to stop getting the catalog in the mail. Uh. That they would send you an email. It was really hard to get people to accept, accept emails, emails back in those days. Yeah, and they used to open all the emails back then. Oh, yeah. Um, what, so do, would you say, like, obviously it's a big difference, but you know, you having, I know it was. Uh, you know, limited relationship with Mark, but you still work with him. Uh, does he seem the same as the guy you see on TV? Yeah, yeah. I always because you always wonder about that, yeah. right? You know. But I would. Um, I I had a few interactions with Mark more directly. There was a company in Toronto that had a technology that they're interested in talking to Mark about. Um, they'd reached out to me. I'd had an initial conversation. I'd forward the email off that they had sent me. I'd gone down to meet with them. Uh, they they weren't going to be a reseller of ours. I thought I might be able to get them on as a reseller. And there, there was no fit there, but there was a technology they had that um, I thought, uh, they thought and I thought Mark might be interested in. So I flipped the email to Mark. And then you would get, like he would send me back questions. You get them back at like 3 o'clock in the morning. You get a question. I ask him about blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, can it do whatever, whatever? Uh, if so, I might be interested. Yeah, at three in the morning, like yeah. emails. And, and you'd be like, you know, that's like it's kind of cool, you know, like because he wasn't like the Mark Cuban then, but yeah. you know, he was the he was a dynamic guy who was running uh, this company. really cool company, and it was you know he was the president of the company, yeah, yeah, you know, so it was you know it was, was kind of cool. Um, 
And then, you know, I remember going back a couple of times and him just saying, awesome, thanks. I'm going to run with it from here. I oh. just thought, you know, like you just, you know, it was like the first time I'd worked with someone who, you know, could have just delegated all that stuff off, but he just seemed to be like, a, grab the bull by the horns. Um, it, like exactly how he, how he seems when, when you see him interviewed. The, uh, they also bought like Seth. Uh, Godin's company, right? Yeah. And you, I think you've mentioned that you had Seth Godin come on as like a sales specialist, right? That, yeah. Well, so can, I wasn't, you, can you give me like a little story, I, like a Seth Godin story? I, I wish I could, but he was he was a little further afield um, uh, from us because that was uh, Yahoo, I think, who, yeah. who did that purchase. Um, no, so we had him on some webcasts and that, but we didn't. I didn't get a chance to uh, to meet him in person. Uh, okay. Um, and then maybe as a, as a final one, I, I, I think like I'm part of the last, one of the last generations that grew up kind of, they got to see like pre internet and then internet. Yep. You have that experience with fax machines. (laughs) (laughs) I just love your story though, about uh, how the fax machine Change your My life. G-Max story. Yeah, I love that. You just yeah. give a little quick fax machine story. Sure, sure. I love the story. Too. <laughs> it's, uh, I was working at uh, Craig Motor Suzuki on Kingston Road in Scarborough, and uh, uh, I was the business manager. So the business office. You, you know, the, you go in there and they try to sell you rust proofing and insurance, and they do the oh, paperwork and the leasing. I was that oh, guy. Oh, that's grimy. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Like that it. was good experience, man. <laughs> I got to talk to thousands of. Um, and uh, but we used to, you know, we used to fill in, you know, almost everything was a lease, right? Uh, lease for finance. And uh, General Motors Acceptance Corporation was was the company that did a lot of our our leases. And so you'd have to fill them all in, you know, and then you'd you'd, you'd pack them up. And then if you had to get a deal turned around really quickly, you had to get the information to them. So you'd, you'd courier it to them, and then they'd open up the package. They look at it. They'd courier response. It was like a four-day turnaround if things went really fast. If you needed to move really quickly, you would jump in your car and you'd drive to the GMAC office and you'd talk to the loan officer and say, can you please, please, please move this one to the top of the pile? And then we got our first fax machine. And everything became, we could just drop it into this machine, send it over to GMAC, and then they'd send the response back like only 48 hours later. Revolutionized our, our lives. Saved so much time. I couldn't believe it. Oh, that's great. Because all I think about is like, oh, you're making me factless, but this is like so efficient for you. So. Oh, it's incredible. Must have been like when the telegraph came out. <laughs> uh, well, no, but seriously though, hey, I loved working with you the last like three and a half years. Uh, really respect and appreciate you as like... Uh, a colleague, you kind of run things from a high level, but let people do their thing. But I just like dealing with you as a as a dude too. So really appreciate you taking some time to be uh, on the the podcast, my man. Appreciate you interviewing me, and I feel exactly the same. I've uh, enjoyed spending the last three and a half years working with you. Thanks. Boom. 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 <laughs>